Hi, welcome to another episode of ServiceNow Tech Bytes, the podcast that helps you use the product better and more efficiently. I'm Suzanne Smith, your host, and today we are talking about security operations. We are going to discuss some of the new features, particularly in security operations in Helsinki, and we're going to discuss the three parts of security operations, which are threat intelligence, vulnerability response, and security incident response. Today, we have a couple more returning visitors. We have Lisa Henderson. Hi, Lisa. Hello. And Giora Tamir, also known around here as GT. Hi, GT. Hi. Uh, Lisa and GT were here in about December, I think, for the Geneva release. They are both staff application engineers on our security operations team and are key members of that team that have brought all of you the new security incident response module, as well as some of the other new security operations features. And we have brought them back because they were so much fun to talk to last time and because there are a lot of new features in the Helsinki release that are related to the security operations area. So... Very happy to have you guys back. Thank you for coming back. Good to be here. Will, uh, will you give me back my pet plant when I finish this? Absolutely. The hostage will be released. No problem. Um, what I think is probably the best idea is to start off with a little overview, just because I know there's a lot of talk about security incident response. There's a lot of talk about these features, but it still is fairly new. Geneva was just released in December. So I think we're going to go, GT, can you give us an overview of security operations and what it is comprised of and how they work together. Okay, security operations is composed out of uh, three main applications. The one we released in Geneva was security incident response and it provides processing support for the security incident response flow. Um, it is intended mainly for the security operations team. The second uh, application is vulnerability management, designed to keep track of vulnerabilities, may they be uh, software or physical, in the organization, and to uh, and, and to try to um, facilitate the interaction between IT and security operations on the resolving of those. Uh, vulnerabilities. The third application, which is brand new in Helsinki, is threat intelligence. Threat intelligence is all about what's out there and all about what is good and what is bad. As in, I received an email. It has an attachment. It looks weird. How do I know if it's something bad or just a benign piece of weird email? So threat intelligence is all about that. And that's the three pieces that comprise security operations. And we're going to go over to Lisa to tell us a little bit about what pieces and parts of that are new. Threat intelligence is completely new in Helsinki, right? Threat intelligence is new and vulnerability has been substantially upgraded. Um, so the threat intelligence, um, it's going to be all about well, the threat intelligence, of course, all new, but you know, it's like he said, all about which items are threats, the vulnerability. We have a lot more to handle 
vulnerabilities as groups. So there are some vulnerabilities, like, for example, if your macromedia flash, if you have a version of it that is unfortunately company required by a mandatory product, then you could want to handle all the reports of vulnerabilities on that particular version of flash by saying, we know there's a problem, we are going to accept this risk because this is required, or because we have something else that is preventing this from being a problem. So there's a lot more about handling things as a group, which is very important in vulnerabilities, as you can have tens of thousands of individual vulnerability reports. So in vulnerability, that's where we're going out and comparing known vulnerabilities that have already been identified Yes. With things that look strange on a system. Not look strange, things that we know are installed on a system. So a vulnerability is simply a piece of software that we know has some issue or a piece of hardware that has some known issue. Um, and it doesn't mean that there's a problem with it. It means that it can be that a hacker can gain access by using this particular piece of software. Um, potentially to something trivial. I mean, you know, you could imagine a vulnerability where it's if you have this particular browser, a hacker could control your um, mouse cursor, um, just the appearance of it. That would be a vulnerability, but it would be a very mild vulnerability. A far stronger vulnerability would be in this particular version of a browser, a hacker can gain full access to your hard drive. That's a severe vulnerability. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of range to vulnerabilities, but the thing is, is that there are constant um, updates to the list of known vulnerable software versions. And we take a look at what version you have installed on your computer, compare it to that list. If there's anything matching, then we know that your computer has some vulnerable software on it. Um, but like I said, the big problem is with the degree of the vulnerability, because if you have a very low grade vulnerability, something with no known exploits, something with very limited exploit potential, that is not worth fixing before a very high grade vulnerability or something that is on perhaps the CEO's machine. Um, so both of these can impact how important a vulnerability is to handle. Um, and that's why we've built in a whole bunch of new stuff about dealing with these. We were dealing with vulnerabilities as individual items. And that's great, but you sometimes end up with, realistically, you end up with vulnerabilities that you are going to ignore for a while because they aren't important or they aren't as important as other things. And you need to prioritize your list and clear out items that you don't plan to fix or don't plan to fix right now. You can also close something and just say, the risk is accepted. This is all about changing the color of my mouse cursor. We are not going to spend time and introduce possible errors and possible worse vulnerabilities by upgrading this software when its only known vulnerability is something so minor. So you could close it as risk accepted. We don't care about the color of the cursor changing. And so you would want to do that not per computer. You would want to do that for all reports of that particular vulnerability. Um, so that's handling that as a group. And when you do that, you can choose, we have an approval process that you may have in place, can be a conditional approval process where let's say only high level vulnerabilities require approval, low level vulnerabilities could just go through right away. And it will allow for an approval process um, with it when you are closing or temporarily ignoring vulnerabilities. And that lets you have reports and all kinds of things to say how much active, dangerous 
vulnerabilities do we have? Are we really in trouble or are we in a pretty good spot? We just have a cup where we can see all the new stuff coming in. It's no longer drowned in a whole pile of little mediocre vulnerabilities and things on computers that are well protected by firewalls. It's now you can see the whole picture of what's new that's coming in, what's dangerous, what has to be fixed now. And so this being able to distinguish different levels of severity with the vulnerabilities, is that that part is new in Helsinki? That part has always existed, but we've done um, a bit more with the severity calculators, as I recall, because what you really want to do to determine severities, you need to look at this um, severity of the vulnerability and the criticality of the computer. You also need to look at where the computer is. Something that is behind a firewall is much less dangerous than something that is on the outside of the firewall, like some of your web servers. Um, so that's, you know, there's there's a lot of variables there. And that's why we have severity calculators so that you can say in your system, this is how you want severity to be calculated. This is how you want priority to be set. You want these guys to be the highest priority. Who owns the computer or which department it belongs to is also a factor because if this is the chief financial officer's computer or an HR computer, it might contain data that is more valuable than, I don't know, let's say my computer. And all of that is customizable then. So every organization can can customize that for their own needs and set up those levels of severity for different machines, different departments. And customizable at two levels, which is kind of important. You can either do this tr our traditional filter where you say department is HR, or if you have more extreme needs, you can go ahead and do our JavaScript and write pure code and have it do anything you want. Computers added on a Wednesday are a higher priority than computers added on a Thursday. You know, I mean, it's from there you have, you can go anywhere, but the filters give you a lot of power to do almost anything you can without needing to code. That's great. Lisa, I know you worked a lot on threat intelligence for this release. You did or worked, GT did? GT worked more on threat intelligence. I was more on vulnerability. I did work on threat intelligence as well. Okay, then we'll go back over to GT then to talk some more about threat intelligence and, and how how people can actually use it and how can they get going with it quickly and have it make a difference for them. If vulnerability describes the windows and the doors that you're not aware of in your system where something can come through, threat is all about capturing the things that can go through those doors and windows if they're open. Um, threat allows you, threat intelligence allows you to keep track of three very important things. They're called observables, indicators, and TTPs, which we call attack motor method. So an observable is a fact. It is something that is. It is, you found that a computer is talking to a certain IP address. That IP address is an observable. On its own, it doesn't mean anything. It's just an IP address. An indicator, also known as indicator of compromise, is a collection of observables that tell you that something bad is going on. So it might be a collection of IP addresses that are known command and control centers for various uh, malware. They can be the presence of a certain file of, on your system might indicate a problem. The presence of a registry key might indicate a problem. 
Uh, sometimes it's the lack of something that indicates a problem. So that's what an indicator is. So an indicator is a collection of observables that indicate something more nefarious. An attack motor method, also known as TTP, is the more descriptive level. If an indicator is uh, prescriptive, as in it, it explains exactly what, the attack motor method explains the why or why is it called. If we're talking about uh, Angler Kit, which is a type of malware, or we're talking about the Zeus malware, that descriptive name would be the attack mode or method. The attack mode or method also allows you to connect multiple types of attacks into one umbrella, because if somebody is trying to get into your organization, they might be using multiple methods to do it. They might be coming in through physical security breaches. They might be trying to send phishing emails. They might be trying to infect machines. All those go under the umbrella of attack motor method. So that's all the work that threat intelligence is doing. And, and the people within an organization that are going to use security incident response, threat intelligence, and vulnerability management, that is the security department. But I think it's interesting how these products enable security and IT to work together in a logical way to handle these things. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that is something that's a really key part of this that that is a little new for some people. Yeah, that, that goes a lot on the vulnerability side in particular, because typically vulnerabilities are handled by IT but they could potentially be prioritized by security, and security will also possibly notice an attack happening on a computer by a vulnerability. They need to then tell IT, Does this that go vulnerability back to severity? must go away. Yeah, this goes, so, this goes to severity, but this also goes to, this has gone from, this could possibly be a problem, into, this is a problem. You now need to not only, knowing the vulnerabilities means that you not only say, we need to fix this machine here because the hacker is getting, doing something bad to it via this vulnerability. It also means we need to find, grab all of our other machines with this vulnerability and say, fix them too right now because there's an active threat, an active attack that is making use of that vulnerability. And that's one of the area. That's one of the big areas where these two integrate together: the threat, the vulnerability, and the IT and security. Is sort of that's definitely one of our big bridges. If we look at it as a spectrum, threat intelligence is entirely for the security operations team. Se um, security incident response is midway. It's used by the security operations team, but requires a lot of IT input because many of the tasks are IT tasks. Vulnerability is on the other end of the spectrum. It is slightly more IT focused. So security operations can have their input as to priority, but the actual work is all IT work. So when people are tracking that different kind of work, you might have the security incident assigned being managed by security, but tasks are being done by IT or vice versa. You could have IT managing a vulnerability with tasks assigned to security. That would probably never happen. No. So yeah. in vulnerability, there would all be IT. It would tasks. all be IT. So they would be managing those 
those issues and and doing the tasks involved to resolve them. Yes, and security operations will probably uh, only provide prioritization because if they know through threat intelligence that something is out there or through security incident response that there is an active attack right now, they might reprioritize some of the vulnerabilities to close some of those doors and windows. Especially, you know, there are, there are definitely um, industry differences in which threats are most common, what types of attacks you have. Um, you know, there are standard companies that will just have people who are just malicious or looking for credit card numbers. But then if you're a financial company or a health company, you can have some really massive attacks that are very planned and structured. So you will, you know, that can really change all the prioritization on this. You can't just have a base system, a basic standard, it works every time, set of priorities for vulnerabilities. There will always be some custom, or not always, there will be often some customization for your particular industry, your particular department, what's, who's attacking you at this time, things like that. But the good thing is, is that that all of these applications can, as all ServiceNow applications, can be customized for what you need. So it, it can be used for financial institutions, healthcare organizations, and, and very different sorts of industries. Exactly. The severity calculators, the priorities on the vulnerabilities, the ways you set up which um, CIs, which computers, which servers, which databases are the highest priority. Um, all of that is, you know massively customizable and you know like everything in in service now you can just build your own anything that you need if we're missing it but hopefully we aren't that's good now we wanted we definitely wanted in this particular episode to highlight some of these new features new applications and and new abilities in Helsinki but i want to do a couple of the things that we usually always do on the podcast as well and that is uh do you have any tips and tricks for people using these new capabilities in Helsinki? Any any little insider information to give people as they start using threat intelligence or, or the expanded abilities and vulnerability management? The I would say the most important thing is to set up your data sources, where you're getting your threat information from. The threat intelligence product in the base system comes with the ability to import sticks data and also comes with the ability to use taxi sources. So taxi is the transport mechanism for the STIX format. And the base system comes with Hala Taxi, which is the uh, default source available for threat intelligence. Any industry can then add additional threat sources. So your ServiceNow system is always updated and is always uh, always contains the current threats for your industry. So these these systems, the taxi and the sticks, they will pull in, you know, command and control IPs, IP addresses for known attacks. They'll have hashes for malware that might be going around on phishing emails. They're going to have, you know, bring in a whole bunch of interesting data. On the vulnerability side, you may be using um, our own discovery systems. You can also use Qualys and other systems to pull in the vulnerabilities on your systems. And a very common best practice for vulnerabilities is to pick out your most crucial machines to scan first because scans can be 
time-consuming, and you need to prioritize what you need to look at. Um, so what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to pull in a subsection first, figure out what's important there, what you need to deal with, which items are the change of cursor color type of vulnerabilities that you really don't care about, which ones are masked sufficiently by your firewall that you never actually have to worry about these, and you know, sort of set up your rules, basically set up which vulnerabilities you're willing to always ignore, always close. And that way you can figure out, um, you know, you can have less noise when you pull in more and more computers. So as you're, you know, then you can start expanding your scans out to more things. But start with the most important, the most critical first, and then and take it from there. And yeah, the most important, the most critical, you may want to look at the most exposed things that have to be outside the firewall, or it may be the things inside the firewall that have the most um, PII or credit card information, anything that is, you know, whatever is key to your industry. Okay. Are there any other tips and tricks that you want to share? One of the interesting features available in threat intelligence is the ability to connect to external scanners. In our base system, you get uh, the functionality to talk to VirusTotal, which is a uh, product that allows you to look at either an IP address, a file, or a URL, and it will pull many other systems and tell you if there's anything bad associated with that IP or that URL or that file. That could be very convenient if you see a computer talking to an IP address you're not familiar with and you want to know, is this problematic or not? Inside the threat intelligence, there's a you'll see a scanners section and you can create a scan and ask it. It will give you uh, detailed information about what came back about that specific IP address or URL. So scanners are great. Use them. <laughs> um, Lisa, I know that you have, we love our underdog feature, a feature customers may not know about, may not find, but is very, very useful. I think you have an underdog feature for us. Yes, yeah, certainly. So this was uh, one of my bits of work in threat intelligence. But when you have threat intelligence installed and indicators of compromise and all of this set up, we have an indicator of compromise um, section within the security incident response form. So when you fill in your indicators there, the IP addresses that were involved, the um, file hash, all of this information, it gets added into your indicators of compromise. Now, what we ha do with that today is we will actually use that information to find other similar security incidents. So other security incidents where someone's computer is talking to the same IP address or receiving emails with the same hash. Now, this can help you detect massive attacks on your system where more than one person is being given a certain phishing email, where a virus is running around and a couple of different computers are talking to command and controls. You might find out that someone has already solved this problem. You might find out all kinds of interesting information about, you know, really an, you're able to more quickly respond to a broad attack not as several individual attacks, but as a broad attack, go solve all of them at the same time once you know what all of them are. And also priority. You know, if you have 50 computers with these same characteristics, you need to handle that a little more quickly than an individual isolated one person fell for a phishing email type of situation. 
You guys were very busy in the Helsinki release, weren't you? <laughs> Certainly, always. <laughs> this is a lot. And if I may say, there's actually there's the feature that Lisa just described is I think is a very powerful feature, and we actually have the one level up from that feature. We have automatic calculation of indicators. So let's say we know of. 20 different IP addresses that are used by the Zeus command and control, as an example. And somebody is smart enough to infect different or have different computers talk to different IP addresses. They won't show up as related incidents, but because we have automatic indicator calculation, we say, oh, all those IPs are on one list. So all those incidents now are automatically associated with the Zeus indicator. And you can see that all of them, even though they're talking different IP addresses, are sharing this malware between them. So you can choose different different levels at which to address an attack like that. Yeah, yeah. And you can set your priorities appropriate to what's really going on rather than, you know, it's seeing the trees or seeing the forest. So... Exactly. We try very hard to give you as much information as possible so the security operations people can make informed decisions. This is still a very new product and and very new features in ServiceNow, just Geneva and now the Helsinki release. But there are a lot of resources out there for customers. They can go to the product documentation. They can go out to the ServiceNow community. There is a security community area where customers, ServiceNow employees, and partners are discussing uh, security incident response, threat intelligence, and vulnerability management. Uh, We have videos available for seeing this in action. We're talking about it. We're describing it as best as we can, but there are videos that show it in action. Did I hit all of the resource points? I think so. We also, we do have, you know, quite a few customers who have gone live. So we have a lot of people with real world experience out there right now. And if you look at the the second keynote in Knowledge 16 was included a section about security operations. That's right. So the Knowledge Conference keynote speeches are posted online and it's the second one uh, where Dan McGee was the featured speaker, and they did spend a really good amount of time talking about and showing security incident response and doing a really nice walkthrough of that. So that's a great great tip as well. Well, Lisa Henderson and GT, I want to thank both of you for coming back. This is an incredibly exciting and active and uh, amazing part of the product. And so I'm happy that you were able to come back and tell us about some of the changes. Thank you. Sure. It's lots of fun. Our pleasure. For more information, please consult the ServiceNow product documentation, our knowledge base on high, and now support on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to ServiceNow Tech Bites. (laughs) 